turn with me uh, to the book of Ephesians. Let's go to chapter 2. We want to pick up our study in verse 11 and then take it to verse 22. Last week in our study, in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, uh, we looked at that place where Paul says, We are saved by grace uh, through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And now we come into this second portion from verses 11 through 22. And Paul is going to be speaking about salvation by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace through faith. But how does this all come about? By the precious blood of Jesus. When we come to this area of the blood of Christ... A lot of times people just don't understand. Now, if you've been a Christian long enough, I remember the first time somebody told me, Bob, you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I mean, what does that mean? I don't understand that. I mean, somebody poured a bucket of blood over me? I mean, how gross is that? And yet it's by the precious blood of Christ. On your own, back in Genesis chapter 3, Man is in all tranquility in the Garden of Eden. And we know that Adam and Eve partook of the, of the fruit. And at that point, they had been naked. And, and basically, they had the Garden of Eden was theirs. But all of a sudden now, the presence of sin. And the first thing that happened to Adam and Eve is that they hid themselves. And then they put on fig leaves. We know the, you know, the story. But then God came to them. And we know that God placed skins upon them. In order to place skins, God had to make the first animal sacrifice. Many scholars believe that that first animal sacrifice was a lamb. That was already pointing uh, to the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, which we know is Christ. But there has to be this shedding of blood. If you follow the Old Testament... When the law came into place, the animal sacrifices that had to occur through the year, uh, the Day of Atonement, there was a special time uh, that the animal sacrifice had to take place. And we know, as you look at the Old Testament, it's pointing to the cross. The Old Testament is a shadow of things to come. And we know that that complete lamb now, is Christ. Remember in Matthew chapter 1, uh, John the Baptist, we see him, and he is the heralder. He's preaching of this man, Christ Jesus. And when John sees Jesus and there in the Jordan Valley, John had a following, and John points to Jesus, and he says, Behold now the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Have mercy on and so this precious blood of Christ. I'm reminded in the book of Hebrews in chapter 9, in verse 22, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There has to be blood that takes away the sins of man. In the Old Testament, it was covering. It was called the kofar. It covered our sins. And in all reality, uh, the next time you came into temple, you had to have another animal sacrifice. But according to the book of Hebrews, Jesus died once and for all. 
to give us life, life eternal. And so Paul is going to be speaking about this Lamb of God, his precious blood that cleanses us, washes us, makes us afresh and anew. And this morning, before we get into the text, if you've not come to saving grace, or if you're in a backslidden condition, you need to come back to this Lamb of God. You need to be washed in the blood again, or for the first time, come to saving grace. And so Paul's going to deal with two groups, as usual, the Jew and the Gentile. And understand Paul's logic. If anybody was very Jewish, it was uh, this solitarsis that becomes Paul the Apostle. I mean, he understood the law inside out. He lived the law uh, to the very letter. But God got a hold of this man. And not only was he concerned for the lives spiritually of the Jews, but now also the Gentiles. You see, Paul wanted to preach so bad to his own people. And yet God called him uh, to the Gentiles. And Paul did. He goes to the Gentiles. Here he is at the church at Ephesus. There were Gentiles there. And he wants to bring this place where Jew and Gentile come together by the precious blood of Christ. That's the only way it could happen. And so let's begin in our text here. In Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 11. And Paul begins, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands. And so Paul's addressing the Jews there, or the Gentiles, first of all, there in Ephesus. And so he's speaking to our hearts even here this morning. He says the Gentiles used to be outside the covenant by birth, the Jews called them the uncircumcised ones. The Jews were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their heart. The Jews turned a sign of circumcision given to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 17. Now listen to this. They turned it into a ritual. They turned it into a tradition of man. And yet the law spoke of the cutting away of the foreskin of the heart. You see, it was a sign that was given to Abraham to separate them uh, from all the other nations. You are a chosen people, a chosen generation. You're not to be like them. And so God gave Abraham this sign of a covenant of circumcision. But I want you to take down this verse. The law. Moses writes in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 10, verse 17. Listen to what Moses says. Now, this is a law, not a sign. And he says, Moses writes, circumcise the heart of your flesh, you stiff-necked people. Paul was speaking, or Moses in the law, speaking to the Jews, as Paul was speaking to the Jews. He called them a stiff-necked people. They were a rebellious people. They were a hard-necked people. They were a harsh people. The hardness of the heart or the pride of man. And Moses says, listen, guys. The circumcision of the foreskin was a sign. But what God wants you to cut is that heart. And men, I'm one of you. Pride sets in. And we have to cut that heart of pride. We have to cut that heart of selfishness. Listen to this, guys. We have to cut that heart of anger. 
God is the only one that can take care of these things. And so our sin nature enters the heart. And it has to be dealt with. And so the Jews were so quick, you know, on the eighth day, circumcision. But what about the rituals, the rites, and the customs, even today in the church? I've given you this statistic in time past, but uh, there is a poll that's been taken. Listen to this. 85% of the United States of America claim to be Christian. But claiming to be Christian and entering the kingdom of God are two different stories. Because anybody can claim to be Christian, but are you truly born again of the Holy Spirit? And so the challenge even here to us this morning, for the Jew, you think your circumcision is going to get you into the kingdom of God, but has your heart been cut? Has pride finally uh, taken its toll to the point where you're tired of it? You see, coming to church on Sunday morning does not make me a Christian. Some of us, because I've been water baptized, does not make me a Christian. Some of us were capable and able to give a tithe, an offering, a gift to God financially. That does not make us a Christian. Some of us can do the ushering or working in the sound room or working with the children's ministry. You can serve God in a particular church. That doesn't make you a Christian. Now, all of those things, all of those works are good. And God calls us to all those positions. But is our heart right with God? Have I truly been born again? Has there been a transformation? Has there been a change? Has there been that metamorphosis in your life, in my life? I always like to challenge people with this. Husbands, honestly ask your wife. You've been coming to church for six months, eight months, a year, or let's say five years. Husbands, ask your wife. and Wives, be honest. Honey, am I a Christian? Am I born again of the Holy Spirit? Have you seen change in me? You will know as soon as her eyes roll back. Well, honey, you know I love you. No, am I a Christian? Have you seen change? Well, honey, I really love you. There has to be evidence. Jesus said he will know his people, listen, by their fruit. The fruit of the Spirit isn't working in you. Now, guys, your wives love you. Maybe she won't tell you the full truth about you. But I challenge you this way. Ask your children. Children don't lie. You ask your children, have I changed? Is there transformation? Has God really gotten a hold of my life? And your kids will tell you the truth. You see, the Bible says that we are to examine ourselves, see if we are in the faith. Hey, I'm constantly asking myself, am I doing the things of God or am I doing the things of the flesh? Am I doing the things uh, that Bob wants to do? And so Paul here, so beautifully, is trying to speak to Jew and Gentile. It's only through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, through this born-again experience. And even then, we're going to struggle. But I thank God that he's an advocate I thank God that he's a lawyer for my defense because I blow it and so do you. But we need to come to the born again experience. The personal relationship. You can call yourself Christian until you're blue in the face. But are you born again of the Holy Spirit? Back in John chapter 3, you know the story. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. In fact, he was so concerned about his peers that he came uh, to Jesus at night. 
so that they would not see him. Nicodemus was part of the Sanhedrin, I believe. He was a Pharisee of Pharisee. He was just like Paul. And he comes to Jesus at night, and he says, what must a man do to enter the kingdom of God? Jesus slightly rebukes him. Nicodemus, you're a ruler of the Jews. You should know these things. Remember the story? Nicodemus, you must be born again. He didn't understand it. I didn't understand it the first time. He wanted to go back into his mother's womb. But God needs to transform us. God needs to change us. And so it's not about circumcision or uncircumcision. It's about the precious blood of Christ. Has it washed me afresh? Look at verse 2 or verse 12 now, please. That at that time you were without Christ. He's speaking to the Gentiles. He's speaking to our B.C. days. Uh, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of the promises, having no hope and without God in the world. So Paul's still dealing with Gentiles. In your B.C. days before Christ, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from God's people, Israel, and you did not know the promises of God had made to them that they were actually for you. You lived in the world without God and without hope. Without hope. And I tell you, I remember before I got saved, I had no hope. Oh, I used to run around and do the things that were wrong. But down deep inside, I was afraid. I feared if I died in my sins. I knew that much that I needed to come to saving grace. Here Paul says in verse 12, we're aliens, we're strangers from the citizenship of Israel. Void of God's covenant given to Israel. Salvation to the Jew first, yes. But we as Gentiles had no hope without God. In all reality, Israel led the way because they have rejected the Messiah. We have access now to saving grace. But don't exclude the nation of Israel. God is not finished with the nation of Israel. The seven years of tribulation is to bring Israel back to who they need to come back to, which is God. You see, the Messiah is Jesus Christ, but they missed it. According to the book of Revelation, they're going to receive the Antichrist as their Messiah. But there's, this, there's 21 judgments that are coming in the book of Revelation. Seven sealed judgments, uh, there are seven trumpet judgments, and there are seven bold judgments. Don't count out Israel. God is not finished with the nation of Israel. But God has poured out his spirit uh, to the Gentiles. Look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off, uh, speaking of the Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's about the precious blood of Christ. I like that Paul brings us to verse 13 and he says, but now, but now. And so he gives us a reprieve, if you may, a way of escape. But now being in Christ Jesus. Now there's only two logics here. Either we're in Christ or we're out of Christ. And the only one that can answer you on that issue is yourself. Examine your heart and see if you're in the faith. You're either in Christ or you're out of Christ. In John chapter 15, we've been sharing that the last couple of weeks, that doctrine of abiding. Jesus says that if we're in Christ, he says, abide in me and I will abide in you. 
To abide means to stay in Christ. To be in Christ or you're either out of Christ. Again, there's only two logics. And the enemy loves to lie to us. Oh, you're okay. Don't listen to uh, that preacher. Well, I don't care if you don't listen to me, but listen to the Word of God as the Holy Spirit speaks to us. But now being in Christ Jesus, you're abiding, you belong to Christ Jesus, though you once were far away from God because of your sin nature. We're born with Adamic sin. And the only way to eradicate that Adamic sin is by the blood of Christ. And then Paul says, now you have been brought near to him because of this precious blood of Christ. Washed in his blood, purchased by uh, his precious blood. If you're taking notes, in the book of Isaiah chapter 59, Isaiah says, what has separated man from God? Our sins have separated. Our sins have separated us from our God. And it's only through his blood that we're washed, cleansed. I don't know if you've ever heard that term, but when we come to Christ, the slate has been cleaned. You know, we look at our slate and we've got all kinds of sin nature. But we come to Christ and our sins have been washed, have been cleansed. Years back when we were Calvary Chapel, West Covina, we had a lot of outreaches. Sunday nights was like an outreach. We would do about 45 minutes of worship. We would have guests for worship. And then uh, the word of God would come. Pastor Raul would challenge. It was always a salvation message. And literally, hundreds of people were getting saved uh, every month. I mean, every altar call was 10, 20, 30 people. And this particular night that we were there on a Sunday, I never forgot it. It was a concert, and we had listened to the music, listened to some testimonies, and then Pastor Raul came out, basically about a 20-minute message, and he challenged, and people came forward to get saved. But then the Lord gave him a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. You can uh, insert whatever one you think, or a word of prophecy. And I'll never forget, Pastor Raul called out the three women that were in the sanctuary visiting he says, you're prostitutes, and you've come tonight, and God has spoken to your heart. He wants to set you free, but by faith, you have to come forward. I remember sitting in the, in the chairs just like you are uh, this morning, and I said, man, Pastor Roy, you're blowing it, man. What a, ooh, you're calling out three ladies of the night, and they're going to come up. And to my amazement, the corner of my eye, I see three women, young women, mid-20s or so going up to the altar and not even at the altar they were already weeping the power of the holy spirit had gotten a hold of them and i remember when they said the sinner's prayer all of them pastor ross said you know what i don't care what sin you've done but your slate has been cleansed washed in the blood of the lamb i think that was the first time that i actually understood that and then I started to weep myself because my slate had been washed in the blood of the Lamb. The power of God. And remember, Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. His blood saves me. 
His blood sanctifies me, sets me apart. Let me read this verse to you. If you're taking notes in Romans chapter 3, verse 24 through 26. Paul writes, being justified. Now remember the word justification. It's just like it never happened. Oh, I'm a sinner. So are you. But God justifies us. It's just like you never sinned. Again, uh, the slate has been cleansed. And so he says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25 says, whom God sent forth as a propitiation by his blood uh, through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins. He washed away my sins. He passed over my sins. Now, this word propitiation, it's a big word. But it basically means that God has become my mercy seat. If you look at the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, on top of that Ark was this plate of gold. And on top of that gold were two angels that they're, actually their wings were pointing to each other. And they were called cherubims. Inside the Ark of the Covenant, you had the tablets of the law, the Ten Commandments. You had the jar of manna, and you also had uh, Aaron's rod that budded forth. But this mercy seat, Jesus has become your mercy seat. He's become my mercy seat. I deserve judgment, and so do you, but he gives us mercy. And notice verse 26, I want to conclude Romans 3. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of one who has faith in Christ. If you have faith in Christ. Last week we're saved by faith through grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. And this week we're bringing it together. It's by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Don't leave here this morning without his blood washing you. Now let's go back to our text. Now in, in verse 14, Paul changes gears now. Because I am washed in the blood. Listen, he's going to speak about the peace. The peace in Christ Jesus. If you look around us today, we have wars that are raging still in Iraq and Afghanistan. And then our fears of what might happen in Iran. There's skirmishes going on right now in Gaza there in Israel. There's a, a tremendous genocide that's happening in the Sudan. And so wars are always there. Skirmishes are always there. And, and we desperately seek peace. But the peace that man seeks after, listen, is temporal and it's plastic. But the peace that Jesus gives is the peace that passes all understanding. When I came to Christ, he gave me such peace. I'm washed in the precious blood of Jesus and he gives me such peace. He gives me such joy. The Bible says that come to me. Those of you that are heavy laden, I will give you rest. He gives me such rest. Oh, the things of the world are still there. CNN comes out and I cringe. Uh, the Fox uh, you know, news comes out and I, I see it. I can't believe some of the things. But I have peace. You have peace. I have rest. You have rest 
in Jesus Christ. And so Paul's going to speak about this. Look at verse 14 now. He says, for he himself is our peace. Thank you, Lord. He himself is our peace who has made both one, brings the Jew and the Gentile together, and has broken down, very important here, the middle wall of separation. Oh, be careful with that middle wall of separation. All of us experience that. Jesus has come to knock down that wall, whatever it is that's in my life and your life. He'll take down that wall of alcohol. He'll take down that wall of drugs. He'll take down that wall of cursing. He took down the wall of sexuality to those three prostitutes that came forth. He can take down those walls. Only Christ can do it. Jesus is our true peace, has given us peace between Jew and Gentile. And how does this take place? By making us all one people. You see, we make the separation. We make the separation in classes. We, we make the separation, separation in races. But in God, we're all one if we're born again of the Holy Spirit. How does this take place? But by his precious blood. Jesus breaks down the wall of hostility. Jesus breaks down the wall of separation. Jesus takes down, breaks that wall, listen, of pride. And so that wall, that wall that we sometimes erect, be careful with the wall of prejudice. Be careful of the, the wall of race, the walls of class, the walls of reputation. Here's the hard one. Be careful with the walls of religion. Oh, many roads lead to God. No, no. My Bible says only one road leads to God, and that's Jesus Christ. Well, what about the other ones? They need to come to Christ. Every culture understands who Jesus is. Son of God, Savior of the world. It depends what we do with it. You see, some people look at Jesus as a good humanitarian. Some people look at Jesus as a good philosopher. If you see the feeding of the 5,000 with some fish and, and some bread, Jesus is a good provider, a good guy to have around for a picnic, right? But Jesus, Son of God, Savior of the world. Remember the 10 lepers? Jesus is a good guy to have around when you need a healing. Bible says that Jesus healed all 10 lepers. But only one leper came back. Only one leper came back. I believe that leper was saved. The other ones went back to the world, went back to the things of the world. And so this middle wall that has to come down, but Jesus is the only one that can remove the wall of religion. In John 14, 6, Jesus says a radical statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now this wall of separation in the Jewish mind, the wall in the temple, that separated the courts of the Gentiles from the court of the Jews. Now because of Jesus' death, resurrection, and his precious blood, this wall has been broken down now that the Gentiles have the same access to the Holy of Holies as the Jews because of the sacrifice of this Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I want to take it just a step further. Go with me now. I want you to read this. Go to Matthew chapter 27. 
When Jesus gave up the ghost there at Calvary, when Jesus breathed, you know, his last breath, he cried out to tell a story in the Greek. It is finished. But look what happened. And we're going to speak about this curtain, this wall that separates from the Holy of Holies and the holy place. Jesus took that down. In Matthew 27, look at verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two. Now notice where it was torn from. From the top uh, to the bottom. And then the earth did quake, and the rocks were split. Now if you go back into the book of Exodus, this place called the Holy of Holies, there was a partition, there was this, this wall, this curtain. And then you had the holy place. But the high priest would only go in once a year on the Day of Atonement, the Day of Yom Kippur. And so the only one that had access was the high priest. And then he would come out and, and relate to the people. But when Jesus died, the curtain rent in two from the top to the bottom. That shows us that God did it. Now this curtain... You go back to Exodus, you find out uh, the size of this cubicle. It's 15 by 15 square. The curtain was huge. We're told that it was uh, a cubit thick. A cubit is from your index finger uh, to your elbow, roughly 18 inches, maybe more, maybe less. But I want you to think how thick that curtain was. And all of a sudden, it's been broken. Jesus cut this curtain down. Now what's interesting, tradition tells us that the Sanhedrin went back later after all these issues were over with, and it kind of subsided this thing about Jesus, that they went back and sewed the curtain back up. Here God destroys this wall for them, and they go sew it back up. You know, God takes down the wall of pride, and we go and put it back up. He takes down that wall of anger, and we go and put it back up. He takes down that wall of jealousy, uh, envy, strife. Name the sin, but then we go and put it back up. We go to the cross, and, and we drop all our sins there, but on our way out, we take a few with us because we're lonely, right? We have to have that. I can't let go, whatever it might be. But he, look at verse 51 again. He says, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks were split. Verse 52, and the graves, listen to this. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Jesus had gone into Sheol. You read that in Luke chapter 16. And he preached to those in captivity uh, for three days. Uh, we don't have time to go to that teaching, but there was two compartments. There was this place called paradise or Abraham's bosom. But this other place called Sheol, and he preached to those in captivity. But imagine the saints now when they uh, went up to uh, Jerusalem with Jesus. I don't know about you, but all of a sudden, you know, I buried Uncle Levi five years ago, and now he's walking around Jerusalem. But I need to ask you this question. The temple curtain rent in two? And the bodies of the saints 
<laughs> resurrected and walked around Jerusalem for 40 days? Was there a revival at that time? No. You see, miracle signs and wonders don't save us. But it's the power of the Holy Spirit. There has to be a conviction. Uh, look at verse 23 now. We're going to, or 53, excuse me. We're still uh, there in Matthew 27. Verse 53 says, And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and they appeared to many. I'll tell you what, I would have loved to see that. I would have loved to see that. Now, here's another good question. When Lazarus was raised from the dead after four days, did the people believe? No. There has to be faith. There has to be conviction. We come to the conclusion of Matthew 27. Look at verse 54. So then the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened. And they feared greatly, saying, truly, listen to the translation, this is the Son of God. Not was. This is the Son of God. The centurion recognized it. I believe we'll see that centurion in heaven. I believe that that centurion made a commitment to Jesus Christ. But do we truly believe that Jesus died to give us life, life eternal? And if I believe, go back to that phrase that I gave you earlier, is has there been change in my life, in your life? Now let's go back to our text. Look at Ephesians 2 verse 15. And so Paul says, having abolished, listen to this, in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from two, thus making peace. Jesus' death ended all Jewish law that excluded the Gentiles. Jesus Christ's plan was to make peace between Jew and Gentile by creating one new man uh, from the two groups, and that man is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Not the law, not the Sanhedrin, but Christ now, the fulfillment of the law. I want you to take down this verse. In the Sermon of the Mount, listen to the words of Christ, because Jesus was accused of many things. And they said that he came to destroy the law. But to the contrary, in Matthew 5, verse 17, Jesus said this, Do not think that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets, but I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Jesus came to fulfill the prophecies. Jesus came to fulfill that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, Savior of the world. Again, be careful, church. The traditions of man. Well, I call myself a Christian. I am a Christian. In fact, it's written in the membership at my church. And by the way, I was water baptized. You know, all of those things are great. Remember what Paul said, I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you, but Crispus and Gaius. Now, does that mean Paul only baptized two people? He says, I only baptized Crispus and Gaius. You see, Paul wasn't in the baptizing business, and we're not against baptism. We have water baptism here uh, once or twice a year. But Paul was in the saving business. 
What does it profit a man to be water baptized and he loses his own soul? Imagine standing before the kingdom of God right there in his throne. But Lord, I was baptized. Did you ever accept Jesus Christ as Savior of the world? Did you ever accept being washed in the blood of the Lamb? You see, Jesus Christ is that complete sacrifice. But we have to accept that. And so Paul's dealing with the Jewish mind again. And also the Gentile mind. So look at verse 16 now. Let's continue in our, in our text. And he says, and that he might reconcile. This word reconciliation is a great word. That he might reconcile. Christ reconciles them both to God in one body uh, through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Putting to death that hatred, that animosity, those things that Satan puts in our hearts. Reconcile. The word reconciliation basically is change. I like that. God, through his son, Jesus Christ, desires that there would be this change, Jew and Gentile. You hear this morning. That God would bring forth that change. And only through the power of his Holy Spirit can it be done. And I'm still going to struggle after. I still struggle. You still struggle. But I thank God that he saved me. And that I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. Because of the cross, we become one body in Christ. The cross, Jesus put to death enmity. He put to death hatred. He put to death, listen, fear. He put to death questions. Because we all have questions. Jesus put these things to death at the cross. God is the only one that can change us, can transform us. Years back, the first time, the first opportunity I had to go to Israel, I went with a group of pastors And I was all excited to go to Israel for the first time. We met a lot of rabbis and such. And I met in Israel, listen, some of the most wonderful, some of the most kind, some of the most loving uh, people. And yet on the other hand, I also met in Israel some of the rudest, some of the mean, uh, some of the hurtful. uh, And yet Jesus died for them. Oh, the rabbis loved us there at the Wailing Wall as long as we asked them to pray for us. And by the way, they charged us five bucks. But as soon as it was over, this hatred, this animosity towards who? Gentiles. Gentiles. Oh, and God forbid you went to the Wailing Wall without a a yarmulke or a head covering. And then the women were separated. They had to go on the other side. And so the rules, the regulations... And then we would try to talk to them about Messiah. But once they got the $5, they didn't want to hear it no more. (laughs) But Jesus is the reconciler. I want you to turn with me to the book of Colossians. Let's go to chapter 1, verse 19. And so that he might reconcile both Jew and Gentile. That God might reconcile, that he might change Jew or Gentile. And that's the beauty, that God can change us. 
God can transform us. We give our lives through Christ. And I, I've seen it for 28 years that God can change. If a man, if a woman is open, Lord, here am I. I'm a sinner. Change me. Transform me. And he will. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. Reconciled in Christ. This is what Paul's speaking about. If anybody had experience, remember Paul on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9, God wipes him out. God transforms and changes this man. And so in verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in him, speaking of Jesus Christ, all the fullness shall dwell. In other words, that Jesus is number one. Jesus in the Godhead bodily is number one. And so Jesus, everything evolves around Jesus. He is my everything. One of the songs that we sing. We need to come to saving grace. In verse 20 it says, And by him, speaking of Christ, to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. There's that portion of blood again. That we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And Jesus and only Jesus can change us. Then he concludes in verse 21, And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. (laughs) He has reconciled you. He has reconciled me. He has changed us, transformed us, given us a new life. On Wednesday night, we were studying this passage, and I want you to listen to it. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, Ezekiel writes that God desires to give man a new heart and a new spirit within him. And again, going back to those walls that we have uh, in our self, God changes the heart of man. Oh, my heart is callous. My heart is hard. My heart is wicked. In Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, the heart is is wicked. It's desperately wicked above all things. The heart is desperately wicked. You know, I've challenged people with this before, and I've challenged myself. Because basically, when I was told that my heart is, you know, wicked, I said, I'm not that bad. I mean, I'll help an old lady across the street. Come on. But I was challenged. Ask God to show you your heart. And you know what will happen? If you're honest with God, God, show me my heart. He starts to show you your heart, and then you say, Lord, stop. I've seen enough. Because our hearts are ugly. Our hearts are desperately wicked above all things. But God transformed that heart. I need Christ. You need Christ. I mean, we leave here on Sunday mornings. We're all pumped up. We're all, you know, on fire for Christ. And we go out in the parking lot and somebody dents my, you know, car door. I'm in the flesh again. And then I'm sure it's that person parked next to me. And so I have an empty Coke bottle and I'm just going to, in Jesus' name, put it behind their back tire. Oops, they went backwards. I don't know what happened. You see, that's our hearts. That's the way we think. I hate, I love going to California to see my family, but it never fails. Somebody gives me the birdie on the, on the freeway. And my fleshy, oh, okay. 
One way for Jesus, that's what I want. No, I don't want to say that. We want to retaliate. That's our, uh, our motives. That's our action. I remember one time Charlie and I were, um, had gone to uh, the pastor's conference, and we had taken my car, and it said New Mexico plates. And these two guys rolled down their windows, and they yelled out, go back to Texas. And I told Charlie, he's from El Paso. I go, he's talking to you. <laughs> he's talking to you, man. I guess he thought, I guess they thought, you know, New Mexico and Texas are the same. I don't know. But that's the world. But your flesh wants to retaliate. God has given me a new heart. He's taken away that stony heart. He's given me a heart of flesh. Only Jesus can do that. Now, let's go back to our text and look at verse 17. And he came and he preached peace. We've been speaking about that. Uh, to you who were afar off, speaking of the Gentiles, and to those who were near. And that's speaking to the Jews. Jesus. Jesus came to preach to those afar off, the Gentiles, and the peace that passes all understanding. That's what he came to preach. Jesus came to preach peace. Again, we look for peace, as the old song says, in the wrong places. We look for love in the wrong places. Jesus is the answer. I've tried too many things of the world, and so have some of you. Oh, if I can only get the best pot, man, I'm going to be okay. That's not going to give you peace. Pastor Rick... Calvary Chapel, Alamogordo. He was here with us, uh, charge of children's ministry for years. His testimony is a trip. I thought I was bad. He was bad. And Rick was doing drugs out there in the desert. And he loved drugs. And the gospel was presented to him, and he came to Saving Grace. And he told God, I want to be a Christian, but I can't let go of this drugs. Rick said for the next week, because he asked God, take it away from me. And that's the key. We want to keep these things. you got to give it to God. Challenge God. God, you want to save me? Save me. Take this stuff away. Take the desires. And Rick said that that next week, all of his friends would come over. He said, Bob, I'm serious, man. They had the best pot. They had the, don't even talk about Al Capulco go. They had the best. He says, man, I was salivating. And I rolled up a joint and I, Woofed it down, he says, I couldn't get high. All my friends were stoned, and I'm over there just smoking smoke. And he remembered what he told God, take it away. Take it away. And that's how Rick was set free. That's how Rick was set free. When I wanted to stop drinking, I couldn't. I asked God, take it away. He did. When you're serious with God, he will be serious with you. But if you're going to play games, then keep playing the games. But God wants to set us free, church. He comes to give us peace. He comes to preach peace. Take down this verse in John 14, 27. These are the words of Jesus. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Look at the things of the world, church. The things of the world freak us out. I remember there was a time I desperately feared death. I didn't want to die. 
and I feared death. I wouldn't go on an airplane. I would drive. I would walk. I'd do whatever. I, I did not. You know how many celebrities will not fly? Some of you know John Madden, sports. He will not fly. He takes a bus. Aretha Franklin, she will not fly. These are people with money because they're afraid of death. They're afraid of death. The Bible says there's an appointed time for man to die and then the judgment. But I don't fear death. I want to stay here on this earth as long as God wants me to share the gospel. I can only find that peace of my fears, my phobias, through Christ Jesus. Now, I don't challenge God and go out there. I don't fear death. I'm going to get in front of an 18-wheeler. Praise God, he's going to protect me. Well, that's ludicrousy. Jesus, I thought you are going to protect me. You're going to go, you know, you wake up in heaven all plastered. No, that's your fault, not Jesus' fault. He gave us brains. And so Jesus comes to give us peace. I mentioned this earlier. The world looks for peace. They look through it through fame and fortune, finances, romance, the appetites of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. But you know what's neat? God gives us jobs. God gives us finances. Go over to the university. God gives us education. But what do we do with it? Do I want to build an empire? I tell you, some of you that have the finances, man, what you could do for missions. And I tell you what, the more you give, God will give it back to you. But that's a whole other teaching. Look at verse 18 now. For through him, we both have access by one spirit. Look at this. To the Father. For through him. That statement is, is very powerful here. For through him. Jesus Christ has secured this promise through him. He secured these promises for me. We have access to God because he's knocked down these walls we spoke of back in verse 14. We have access to God. This Jesus did for me with his death by his precious blood. And now he's reconciling us to God by his word and by his spirit. In Romans chapter 8, let me just read this verse to you. Verse 34, Paul says, who is he who condemns? He's asking a question. It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for me. I shared earlier, some of us, we can easily fear death. We can fear the hereafter. But I have peace that God's saved me. I have peace that I'm going to go home to be with him one day. But here's another peace that I have. I come to Christ. And Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. And he makes intercession for me. You see, I went to parochial school back in Southern California. We were taught by the Immaculate Heart of Mary nuns. And I remember this day. We were probably fifth grade, sixth grade. I can't remember. But somebody raised their hand. Who do we pray to, sister? And I was waiting for the answer because that was always the question I had. And I remember Sister Antonia Maria, so beautiful. And she says, we pray to the Virgin Mary and we pray to the saints. And watch this, because Jesus is busy. And I go, oh, my Lord. It was good. And from that point on, I never prayed to Jesus. I, I prayed uh, to the saints and I prayed to Mary because Jesus is busy. 
And yet here the scripture says that he sits at the right hand of the Father and he makes intercession for me. He makes intercession for me, for you. My Bible says that I pray to the Father in Jesus' name and he hears me. Years ago, I thought, if I pray late at night, you know, the Chinese are asleep, so I get a little more chance to get to Jesus. I don't know where that logic came. But like Jesus is going to sleep when Bob's praying or you're praying. Man, go to him. Pray to him. Cry out to him. You see, through him, we both have access, speaking of Jew and Gentile, by the Spirit of the Father. Be careful that we sometimes can have this logic There's a God for the Old Testament. There's a God for the New Testament. There's a spirit for the Old Testament and a spirit for the New Testament. No. There's one God. There's one spirit. And so we try to make this separation. And so Jesus has knocked down that wall of prejudice in the area of separation being Jew and Gentile. You're there and we're there. No, Jesus came to die on the cross for all mankind. Now, I took this from one of my commentaries because it says here, uh, as we read earlier, for through him we both have access. This word access is powerful. One commentary said this, we have admission into the presence of God who has become the common reconciled father of both Jew and Gentile. The throne of grace is for us to come to with liberty of approach to the throne is allowed to us, Jew or Gentile. Our access is by the Holy Spirit. Christ purchased us. He paid the full price. We can now come to God, and the Spirit gives us the heart to come and the strength to come and the faith to come, even grace to serve God and His acceptability of me. We have this access. We can draw near to God. You can draw near to God. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through me. And because I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Oh, church, this morning received that. Let's go. We want to finish our text now. Uh, Look at verse 19. We come to the conclusion. And Paul just brings it all together. And he speaks of this cornerstone. We're washed in the blood of the Lamb. We're given the peace of God. And now the reason, because Jesus is this cornerstone. He begins in verse 19. Now, uh, therefore, you are no longer strangers or uh, sojourners. He's speaking to the Gentiles. They were sojourners. They were pilgrims. But you're now fellow citizens with the saints and the members of, of the household of God. We're no longer strangers. We're no longer alienated. We're no longer separated. We become a citizen along with all of God's people. You are members of God's family, be it Jew or Gentile. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 19, uh, verse 20 and 21, let me just read that to you. In verse 20, Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. I like that. And we are eagerly waiting a Savior from there, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. We're waiting for the Lord to come and take us home. In verse 21, who by the power uh, uh, that enables him uh, to bring everything under his control will transform, listen, here's a promise, our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Now, those of you that are 40 and above, this body's breaking down, like it or not. You cannot stop gravity. It's going down. Oh, Hollywood says you can do this and do that, but it's going down. I'll tell you what I'm looking forward to, my new body. I'm looking for that glorified body. In Matthew chapter 17, that picture of the transfiguration. You have Jesus, you have Moses, and you have Elijah. They're in their glorified bodies. Peter, John, and James, they're seeing this. They're going, wow. I like what Pastor Chuck says. In heaven, we'll have new bodies, and he's convinced they're going to be streamlined. Look at verse 20 now. Having been built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being, and write that down, circle it, underline it, the chief cornerstone. We are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Jesus said to Peter, upon this rock I shall build my church. Now be very careful with that statement. Because God forbid that the church is built upon Peter. If the church is built upon Peter, we're in a lot of trouble. If the church is built upon Calvary Chapel, we're in a lot of trouble. If the church is built upon, and just name all the churches you know, name all the pastors you know, great pastors, great men of God. Man, the church is built upon the rock, which is Christ. He just gives us charge of his church. As long as we teach the word of God. Not what Bob has to say, but what does the Word of God have to say? I'm going to come back to verse 20 in just a minute. If you'd like, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to bring it to the conclusion. But let me read verse 20 as we want to finish this off now, or verse 21. In whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. We who believe are carefully joined together, becoming a holy temple as... For the Lord, that he tabernacles within me. We are his church, his true body of Christ, if we're born again of the Holy Spirit. Be careful when we think, I have to go to church because Jesus is there. Yes, he is there. But this is just a building. Jesus is here because you're here. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I'd be in the midst. But you remember in the old days when we thought the church was everything. Back in our hometown, St. Joseph's Catholic Church, they used to leave it open. They don't leave churches open no more. Because man will come in and ransack it. Man will come in and write swastikas and all these things that are not of God. It's sad. But I remember when my mom would have desperate times in her, in her life, and she would just take us by the hand. Let's go to church. It was 12 midnight. Church was open, and we go in and pray. We go light a candle. I go, Mom, I don't have any money. God knows, just light the candle. Oh, Mom, I don't have a dime. There was a dime in those days. My mom said, light a candle. I get a book's worth. 
like 10 of them. But the church was open. Well, Jesus says, know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus tabernacles in us. He lives in us, church, not in buildings made of hands. If this place burns down tomorrow, and God forbid it does, and we don't, you know, but what I'm saying, we're still going to have church. You are the body of Christ. We could go over here to Apodaca Park. We could go over here to Young's Park. We could go over here to Klein Park, and we can have church. We can go in the parking lot. We can have church. We have this concept that we have to be in Garden Grove and we have to go to the Golden or, or the Crystal Cathedral and bring your bottle of Windex. No, that's a whole other story. Scratch that. Let's finish this off. Look at verse 22. In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. God together, the church, the body of Christ. I've had the opportunity to go to Europe. I've had the opportunity to go to the Middle East. And it's so beautiful when you meet another brother, another sister in Christ. In one of our first uh, or, or second trip to Israel, we met such a beautiful couple, David and Sylvia Kadron there in Gilo. And we still correspond back and forth. A couple of years back, my back was gone out, uh, sciatic nerve, and I just had a hard time. And so my name was on a lot of prayer chains. And Sylvia, out of the goodness of her heart, she sends me a prayer cloth. And she says, Pastor Bob, she's very charismatic. This is anointed of God. Put it on your back. Well, when I received it, I put it on my back. I tell you what, God worked. And it's a focus of faith. Focus of faith. Remember when they were looking for Peter and John and that their shadow would just cross over them? That God would heal. That's faith. That's not the shadow. It's not the handkerchiefs that Paul was sending out, but it's the faith. And so let's get back to this conclusion of verse 20. Jesus, the chief cornerstone, I asked you to turn uh, to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. And here he speaks about this cornerstone and where he draws it from. He begins in verse 4, 1 Peter chapter 2. Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. He says to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's you, the church. You're a holy priesthood. He says in verse 6, therefore, it is also uh, contained in the scriptures. I like Paul the apostle. He would go back to the Old Testament. Now here's Peter, the same thing. He goes back to his commentaries, the Old Testament. And Peter's quoting from Isaiah chapter 28. Listen to what he says. Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. That's a promise to us this morning. Jesus is that chief cornerstone. Verse 6, therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. 
Oh, there was those that still have rejected Christ then and still today. In verse 8, a stone of stumbling to some and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you... The church, listen, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may uh, proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's you this morning. If you're born again of the Holy Spirit, he concludes verse 10, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God who has not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Oh, I like that. God has given me mercy. He's given you mercy. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul says, We preach Christ crucified, listen, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Foolishness to the Gentiles. God wants to set us free. I want to cap on a word here, verse 9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. He's not speaking to the Jew. He's speaking to Jew and Gentile. He's speaking to those that are born again of the Holy Spirit. You're a special people. The Bible teaches us, and you'll find the word, he says you're a peculiar people. If you translate that in the Greek, you're weird. You're a weird people. They used to call us Jesus freaks back in the 70s. You're weird people. You're Jesus freaks. You're Bible thumpers. The Mexicans, you're hallelujah freaks. Get out of here. So to, all my grandma said that. Oh, ya cambiates chaqueta. It is hallelujah. You've changed jackets. You're a hallelujah. You're a holy roller. And honestly, I was scared that I was going to go to Protestant church and I was going to be rolling and rolling. That's what I thought it was, man. But Jesus wants to set us free. You are a peculiar people, a strange people. Now, in the B.C. days, we were peculiar. We were weird for the devil. And you don't think so? Ask God to show you your heart again. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. God can change that heart.